Welcome to Inside Divorce. My name is Hindel Grossman, the owner of the law firm called Grossman & Associates LTD, located in Newton and Nantucket, Massachusetts. Hello, my name is Hindel Grossman, and I'm welcoming you to Inside Divorce. Today, I'm talking with Ellen Waldorf, who's a mediator in Newton, Massachusetts. Hi, Ellen. Hi, Hindel. Thank you so much for inviting me. Hi. Please tell us a little bit about yourself so our audience knows uh, something so has some context for what we're going to talk about today. Sure. So I am a divorce mediator in Newton, Massachusetts at E. Waldorf Mediation. I used to be an attorney many years ago, but have always been interested in problem solving. And I have my practice now has is exclusively focused on mediation and training people to be divorce mediators. So I recognize that it's not the only way to get divorced, but I'm a really big fan of it and encouraging people to um, embrace the most collaborative way that they can divorce when it's their turn. Well, in fact, you were the person who trained me how to be the mediator, weren't you? Yes. I, I think one of the great things about people like you and you in particular is you you have as lawyers, you have knowledge about divorce law. You also happen to have experience as a uh, conciliator where you help people evaluate what they're trying to do and how likely it might succeed at court. And mediation really, I think, not only is wonderful in and of itself, and I'm so glad you've joined the practice, but I think it also informs those those other things that, that you and other professionals like yourself do. Yeah. Well, we've approached divorce work from a different angle. I've I've come at it from a an angle of representing clients first, being an advocate on one side, not being a neutral party. And you've always been neutral as a mediator. Yes. No, I actually, um, as I often joke, when I took the bar exam almost over two decades ago, um, I, all I remembered is you could marry your first cousin in Massachusetts. So I've learned a lot about divorce law since becoming, a, uh, and it's never come up in my practice. I, I Nobody I've met has been married to their first cousin. Uh, there's something new every day. <laughs> Maybe next time. <laughs> Interesting piece of information. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So for me, it was hard to adjust becoming a neutral mediator. But for you, you've always had that neutral orientation. Yeah. For me, I realized just, you know, because oftentimes because I work as a mediator and I always recommend that my clients have an attorney at a minimum to review the agreement and ideally in the background and available to answer questions along the way. I've been asked sometimes if I would review an agreement for someone or act as their representative while they're in mediation. And I realized for me, I'm not comfortable with being that advocate. I like being the neutral because I recognize that I walk away, all of us divorce professionals walk away, and I want people to make their own decisions. I'm not comfortable anticipating what might be best for my client. I don't want that responsibility. It doesn't sit well with me. And I'm so glad there are people like yourself who have the courage and the strength to say, you've shared a lot with me and understanding everything you've shared with me. Here's what I'm going to recommend to you. I naturally am much more comfortable. Maybe it's because I'm a middle child that I like uh, <laughs> letting letting other, uh, letting other my clients make the decisions rather than suggesting a path for them. Yeah. So let's talk about what mediation is all about. So as a neutral person, you can't make recommendations to either side. Is that right? So first of all, mediation 
is led by a mediator who's an impartial party who really facilitates a conversation between clients. It's important that clients are informed about the law because my background is in the law. I do share legal information, but I don't share legal advice. So I'm never going to tell people, gosh, if I were you, this is what I would do. But I do want to help people understand options. I want to help them understand the context in which they're making decisions. But at the end of the day, I want to empower them to have the resources and the information that they need to make the decisions for themselves. Because again, they will be the one that will implement their agreement. And I often find, and maybe you do as well, when I meet people and they find out I do divorce work, I'll hear their divorce story. And many times they don't remember the name of the attorney or the mediator that worked with them. Knowing that, I really want people to feel good about what they're doing to recognize that these are the best choices that they can make for themselves. So your goal is to get them talking to each other, Mm -hmm. have them listen to each other. Yes, yes. And of course, you're a good listener. So listening to each side's interests, motivations, and then trying to get them to maybe come to yes in some way. Come to agreement. I mean, that's ideal. I mean, I think one thing, I mean, there are a few things about mediation is that there are some mediators who always have people in the same room at the same time. And for many people, as you know, because you work in this space as well, that can often be a very uncomfortable thing. For some people, it is couples, it is helpful to be together, to hear the same information, to talk things through, to have someone who may just be present in the room because they can conduct a conversation. I also have clients where having that conversation is too hard. And my role is really to be a facilitator and to be able to draw out what people are really trying to say and make sure that their spouse is listening. Often that's done in the same room together. And sometimes it's more like a shuttle diplomat because, again, people need different levels of ways that they can connect and hear the other spouse because it's not helpful just to spin wheels. Living in the limbo of divorce is hard enough. And so really trying to support people during this conversation is really key. So let's talk a little bit about the shuttle diplomat philosophy, which is well, maybe it's not a flash philosophy. It's a it's logistics, really keeping people separated. Not maybe keeping people, but they want to be separated, and they'll be maybe the mediation will be more productive if they're separated because emotions don't escalate. It's not that they don't escalate. It's just the way that I think of it is if someone is so stymied with their spouse in the room, they're not listening. They're not able to take in information. They're not able to problem solve and make decisions. And I will say that there are times when people start separately and come together. There are also times when people come together, but there's one or two issues where, whether it's we're always working separately or sometimes it's just individual conversations with people to help prepare them for how do I tell my spouse that yes, when we first talked on our own about getting divorced, that I I was okay with selling the house. Now I'm not okay with that. And now, you know, like, so sometimes it's helping people think about how can I say what I want to say? How can I best share it? How can my spouse best hear it? Or sometimes it truly is like going from one warring faction to the other. That's not what I wish for people. But again, I think of mediation as there are lots of tools in our toolbox. 
And it's how do we help people have this conversation? But also one other thing I want to say is though people come to mediation because they want a settlement. And you know, when you represent people or when you conciliate or when you mediate, people want closure. Sitting with all the upset and the unknowns is so difficult. But I think of mediation as a tool to help people hear themselves. You talked about the motivation. Oftentimes, people are responding to what's going on for their spouse or what they anticipate their spouse might want without really listening to themselves and thinking about what it is that they want, which really can help people have a conversation because they know what's important and where they can be flexible. So, And sometimes mediation will just be a piece of a divorce. There are some people who might want to mediate a temporary agreement or arrangement for parenting or money. Or sometimes it's, I've even mediated whether or not people want to litigate or mediate. I think of mediation as helping people hear themselves. And if one of the things they learn is that mediation is not my process, I also feel like that's a value of mediation because you heard what you needed. So I think mediation is a very flexible tool and I encourage people to think about it. And it can also be structured in different ways to make people feel more comfortable and build, add a lot of bells and whistles. It can also be trimmed down if you know all the bells and whistles are unnecessary. Boy, it's a really flexible process, isn't it? You can do whatever you, you figure that they need when they figure out what they need. Or at least that's the way I approach it. And I do think different mediators manage things in different ways. There are some mediators who always want to meet with people together in the same room. So when P- if people are thinking about mediation, they definitely should. I encourage them to speak with more than one mediator to, to make sure that it is a right fit. So I know that you and I can do this work very, very well as mediators. However, that doesn't mean that we are the right person for every couple. And we have to be the right for both spouses and not just one person. Otherwise, it's time to move on to another mediator who's a better fit. And that's really important. I got it. Well, from talking to you and knowing you for a while, I know that you your approach to mediation is viewing it as a commencement. Yeah. So when I was um, a student, I was uh, in college, I was stunned that they called graduation commencement. It seemed uh, absurd that you would call the end of your education a beginning. And over the years, I've come to realize that divorce, I liken to a commencement because though it is marking the end of a marriage, I think of it as a planning process for helping people plan the next stage And I hope that as much as people are mourning the loss of the relationship and everything that represented and trying to figure out how to manage going forward, that they use the opportunity as a planning process. Because you and I know that at some point people do move on and the opportunity to structure things as best as possible to allow spouses and if they have children to move forward um, and be as successful as they possibly can be in their lives. That's the way we, you know, it's really not helpful to end up and realize that you, you know, have to pay $30,000 of taxes when you could have paid nothing if you had done it a different way. So I want to, you know, or that I got all this retirement and really what I wanted to do was buy a house and I got the wrong things to purchase it. I don't have a down payment or easily. Got it. Understand. So your view is starting anew. Yes. Allowing people in mediation to look forward 
toward their future and figure out what their goals are and allow them to help them get through that process instead of being sad about the end, which of course they still are. Right. Absolutely. About a beginning. Yeah, no. And I think, you know, there's sometimes where people want to check their emotions at the door. It is difficult. This process is difficult. Talking with your spouse about something that you thought was inevitable, you were never going to happen. And it's just really tough. And you're reimagining your life. Um, so you, people can't check their emotions at the door, and nor do I expect them to. But in processing it, I do want to keep them forward focused, kind of triaging what needs to be dealt with today, but thinking about where do you want to be in the long run? Or at least you might not know what that is, but giving you the tools that are best suited to allow you the most flexibility going forward. Well, it's also helpful to get them from dwelling on the past too much because there are all those old grievances. Mm -hmm. Maybe Mm -hmm. they want to err in the mediation, which really ties up the mediation or gets it stuck for a while. Yeah, I often, you know, when my when my child was young, she had a preschool classmate whose dad told my favorite divorce story, which was he had been married earlier and after his divorce had gone on a yoga retreat and they had an exercise where they were in threes and one woman told a terrible divorce story and the other woman in the group said, well, how long have you been divorced? And she said, I've been divorced for 10 years. And the other woman told an even worse divorce story. And she said, you know, I can't let that uh, keep me, you know, I need to do what's right for me. And she let it go. And for him, it was like this momentous thing about which person do I want to be, ten, you know, this person who was stuck 10 years later, or this person who has said, you know, I need to move forward and I can't let this hinder me. And I think it's a wonderful illustration of the importance of finding a way to process the emotions so that you can move forward and not be stuck. Because it's like dragging an anchor around. Absolutely. And we've all met people, whether it's divorce or something else or some employer, some grievance that really it holds us back rather than the spouse or the employer, whoever we're, we're, we're projecting our upset at. It doesn't solve our problems. So forward focus really, granted, we're always going to take one step back, but keep bringing it back to the future. We're human. We'll, we'll, we'll make missteps. But Yeah. So it seems the way you view mediation is that the, the spouses are in the driver's seat to kind of fashion their own future plan. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's the beauty of doing a collaborative process for creating a divorce settlement is that you have the opportunity to really craft a settlement that in not only how you divide responsibilities or assets or debts, but the timing of that, you have a way to attune your settlement to the people that are involved. I always give the example of working with a couple early in my career where they had agreed to split kid extracurricular expenses. And while I was working with them, mom paid something like swimming and said to dad, you know, you owe me 50 bucks, you know, whenever. And he never got around to it. And she would email him and remind him. And he felt like he was being nagged. In those situations, we structure things so that it's built into support. So it's creating cycles. So again, that people can set themselves up for success. Get out of their old roles of being the nag, right? (laughs) Yeah, no, exactly. And oftentimes it's because we don't know how. I think what's interesting about being a mediator versus doing representational work is you see the system. 
so when wife says to me, well, I keep reminding him he doesn't pay it. Well, it sounds awful. And then you hear what's going, well, I get reminded here and I don't have time to focus on it. And, you know, when I forget and then, you know, and then it's, and it's interesting to see, I liken it to every family is living in a terrarium and we're in the same ecosystem, but two different households and how do we structure it? So this ecosystem is as healthy as possible in two separate households. And there are lots of different ways to do it. Well, you get to hear both sides from the mouths of the spouses rather than through their attorney's mouths, which is actually probably more honest. Well, I also think the challenge, you know, and it's interesting when I mediate prenuptial agreements, I think this becomes even more so, is that sometimes it's hard for clients because, as you know, I think a lot of divorcing people don't understand that legal ethics prevents lawyers from talking to a spouse who has a lawyer. So the communication always has to go lawyer to lawyer. And so when I hear from my lawyer that my spouse wants X, Y, and Z, I don't know whether that's my spouse speaking or that's my attorney or that's, you know, what am I pulling up? And so I think that creates, it's that children's game of telephone. What the first person said is not what the last person tells us at the end of the the line. Though I have to say, and, and we've talked about this before, that sometimes in certain situations, the attorneys are incredibly valuable in mediation, that oftentimes attorneys are in the background, the educated best friend, who you can say, gosh, you know, this sounds good, but before I do it, what do you think? But there are times when it's helpful to bring, usually if there's an impasse, sometimes it's helpful to bring the attorneys in the room and attorneys can help interpret either what's going on to their clients or sometimes it is making a client feel comfortable and so that they can speak up or the attorney can speak on their behalf. So typically the attorneys, the spouse's attorneys are not, I'll say in the room with air quotes, because of course we're doing everything by Zoom now, more or less. <laughs> yes, so, exactly. Right. So is it, is it true that the attorneys are not typically in the room with the spouses? I rarely have attorneys in the room. I think one of the things that I'm always asking people to think about is what's the most efficient and effective way for clients to get information to take in that information, process it, and make decisions. And I often think like a a parenting plan. Attorneys are very good at advocating for what clients want. But as an attorney, you would have to say, well, do you want Tuesday? Do you want Wednesday? So there's sometimes where there are conversations that are more fruitful without the attorneys because the kinds of decisions people are making, or if people, it's rare that I have to deal with the objects in a house, household contents, but every once in a while you have that discussion. And that's a really expensive discussion to have with professionals in the room. So to have three is a lot. Most commonly attorneys are in the background. And the one thing I would say about attorneys is I think it's really important that if people are going to mediate or work in a collaborative process, that they hire attorneys like yourself who understand collaborative processes, who see their role as supporting the decision-making of clients rather than saying, let me move you out of the way because you've never been divorced and let me run this for you. And there are a lot of attorneys like yourself who know what that counseling role is and might say, you know, if we were litigating, this is what I would do. And I hear what you want to do and you can do it. I just want to share how I think about it or hear my concerns. But at the end of the day, this is your choice and you can choose A if you want. Yeah, the thing for for most divorce 
clients is that this is the first time they're getting divorced. And they, they're stepping into what I say is a whole new world with all sorts of new ideas, new laws, new processes, the court involvement, um, options, even just the procedural choices with mediation, collaborative law, conciliation, negotiation, litigation, describing all of those and how they interact with each other. There's a whole, I call it six, I described as two columns. One is the procedural column of what I just described as the choices. And then, of course, all the substantive issues on money. Assets, liabilities, parenting plans, you know, all that, those substantive issues. So it's it's a complicated area, which is why you and I often bring in um, extra professionals. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I think many people on occasion, particularly in mediation, they've heard that it's simpler, it's less expensive. And people think, I, I remember years ago, a couple, a husband who called me and said, we've been in counseling for a year, we've decided to get divorced, we're going to be really simple. And uh, like two years later, they finally saw me. There was he had lost a job, and then I called to find out about their agreement and or catch up with them. And they had actually started dating. It was the only clients I ever had who got back together. Um, <laughs> uh, but I uh, had two. Yeah, it's two reconciliations. Ne- it, yeah, you know, it's. Ne- I think people. People want the decision-making to be simple because it's not pleasant. But I think, as you know, there are a lot of decisions and it's kind of in some ways death by a thousand cuts. And so recognizing there is complexity, even in families where they don't have a lot of assets or they're not necessarily, it can be more complicated. And there are times when professionals, you know, when people are fortunate enough to have a lot of financial resources or complex compensation to bring in professionals when you have choices about which assets should I take? How much of the things I take away should be retirement or investments or real estate? Having financial professionals or sometimes there are people who have uh, special estate planning issues because of children with special needs or just because they created irrevocable trusts years ago and now they're getting divorced, that sometimes there are other bits of information. And even in the most simplest ways, you know, when people want to buy or sell a house, understanding what the value of their house is from a realtor or an appraiser or understanding what mortgage options are available for refinancing or new purchase. There's a lot of information that people from third parties put, outside yeah, the room. Yeah. 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 Tax advice, real estate values. Even now I have a case where there's an husband has a very complicated employment agreement and I'm, I'm bringing in an employment attorney to help me interpret the employment agreement because I there's so many aspects of it. I want to make sure I capture all the compensation. Yeah. And I think sometimes we even couples in mediation who are like, ah, who, you know, not a big deal. We're, we're on the same page and don't realize what they're dealing with. It's almost like when I watch Antiques Roadshow and somebody say, well, you bought this for 30 cents in a garage sale. Well, it's actually, this is what it really is. So I think in many ways, it's kind of, there are some things, assets or compensation, it's wise to bring in folks to support that decision-making so, so people don't walk away. Because my theory is that it's all going to come out anyway. Transparency is vital. People, that information generally comes out. So let's know it now when we can factor the complexities into the decision-making and get that information rather than finding out that I was I shortchanged myself because that never feels good. Yeah, well, clients always want their divorce over with quickly. They want to make it as small as possible to make it as simple as possible. And then when you start saying, well, what did you think about this or that? And realize that 
it just keeps getting bigger, potentially bigger. But also there's more things to talk about and more value there than they might have realized or they might have put the assets on the table. Yeah, I also think because it's so hard to live amidst uncertainty, people do want a race to get done because their thought is once the divorce is settled, this, this, they'll feel better. This, they'll feel better. Yeah, yeah. What I often tell people is divorce really is it's the legal divorce. It's emotionally divorcing, financially divorcing, physically separating, and that they really can happen in any order. And time sometimes can be great benefit to people because you get a better sense of what you want or, or in mediation, you can even try things. Is our financial cash flow arrangement, does it really work? Or uh, does parenting work? Yeah. Experiment. Yeah. I know it's a tough sell to tell divorcing people that they should just relax and settle in and get a better settlement. (laughs) If you, if you wait a little while and don't rush, because of course you and I, I think agree that everyone, I would say a hundred percent of the time, people who are divorcing want it over with as quickly as possible because they think that the pain will end. Yes. Yeah. And I really encourage people related to that to do some sort of self-care, whether that's counseling or exercising or meditation or just anything to recognize that there are moments of distress and discomfort. I find the irony of living during a COVID pandemic is that I think all of us understand now what it's like to be divorced, living in the same home or just a constant sense of distress are the fact that we can, you know, lose it at any moment because we're keeping it together. (laughs) And so that's, you know, for many clients, I think they're going through what now the rest of us are going through. Uh, Experiencing too. Yeah. Well, let's start to wrap it up because I, I know that there's so much to talk about here, but one thing you're so good at is, is hearing people and hopefully the spouses hear each other. They have to be in the right frame of mind to hear what the other one is saying. And that's something you encourage them to do during mediation. Yeah. I mean, I think that's central to mediation. And I think the challenge in any long-term intimate relationship is that we get into patterns and shortcuts where I don't have to listen because I know this is the pattern. And, and so in mediation, we're really trying to, Break the pattern, huh? Yeah, yeah. And I think sometimes for clients, that's the challenge is that they may actually not be that far apart in what a settlement may look like, but their communication is so poor because they get into those grooves so easily. And so it's it's upsetting and creating a, a better, a healthier communication pattern that will allow them. And sometimes doing that is enough to break the impasse. Yeah. You do great work, Ellen. Uh, how can our listeners reach you if they want their divorce to be mediated by you? They're more than welcome to contact me. My website is ewaldorfmediation.com. That's probably the best way that has my phone number and my um, email address and people can link to me. And as, as you said, right now, all of us are working remotely. So, And in years past, I used to do this work remotely. I started doing online mediation when I had clients in Massachusetts who had spouses that lived abroad. So You're familiar with the process. Yes. And, and I'm guessing my impression, Hindel, I don't know yours, is that we're going to be working. This will be an option for working even when we can go back to sitting in a room together. Absolutely. I agree. Well, it's been a pleasure speaking with you, Ellen. Nice to see you again. Thank you so much for this has been terrific. It's always great to talk with such a terrific colleague about these issues. Yes, we've run the opposite sides of Newton, right? (laughs) (laughs) All right, we're speaking with Ellen Waldorf, who's a mediator. Talk to you again another day. Bye bye. Thank you. 
If you'd like more information about the topics covered in our podcast, please contact us at Grossman & Associates. You'll find a competent and experienced team of compassionate, responsive, and innovative legal professionals. Email me at hindell at grossmanltd.com. My first name is spelled H-I-N-D-E-L-L. Or call us at 617-969-0069. Thank you for listening.